world that you think thrills your soul, uh, you've never met Jesus. And uh, I can talk to somebody in about two minutes and tell them exactly where they're at. They ain't going to listen, so you usually don't. You just let them go and do what they want. But a conversation says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And what comes out of here tells you where this is at. It's a, it's a simple thing. It just tells you right there, this is where this is at. Uh, there's nothing wrong with knowing that. It's always good to know that. Uh, you see some of these old songs, and you start looking at them, and it says, uh, I'd rather have Jesus. Oh, man, that's, that's all that thrills my soul. I'd rather have Jesus. That's a good one, too. <laughs> all of them are good. Uh, who can cheer a heart like Jesus? Uh, you know what the problem is with those people? They never, they never met him. So since you never met him, you don't know how he can cheer your heart. Uh, I was on both sides of this thing. I mean, I was over here in the, in the bad side on the streets, and I was over here on this good side. I'm on both sides. So I know what this side is. I, I'm not stupid to that side. Uh, I'm not ignorant to this side anymore either. I know, I know who can thrill this thing. I know who can do it. And there ain't nobody on this planet that's ever been able to do it. And I've done some really great things that where the world would say, oh, man, that's great. I've been all around the world. I've been in the middle of the ocean. I've been everywhere, just about you can name. My kids went to a thing one day, and they was looking on this uh, uh, Discovery Channel, and they'd show islands out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I said, yeah, I've been there. I snorkeled there. I've done this. I, oh, shut up, Dad. Nothing matches Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, nothing, man, nothing, nothing. I, I, nothing I've ever done. I think he let me do that just to show me there's no comparison to him. Uh, love of Christ so freely given. Didn't cost me a dime. Whoever wrote this, you know what's wrong with this new music out here, this praise and worship trash? They don't have a clue who he is. They never had a clue. I better get out of here. I'll start preaching, brother. I'll mess you up. What a wonderful redemption. Man, I got saved in 1980 on the back porch. 43 years I've been saved, perfectly happy. I don't want to change a thing, except I want to get a little bit better or get out of here just quicker. Every need his hand supplying. I was talking to Brother Ross out there a few minutes ago, and uh, I'm telling you, the Lord has provided for everything I have, everything I needed for 63 years he's provided. I have never had to beg for nothing. He's just given me everything. I'm a spoiled brat. By the crystal, roaring flivor, or by the crystal flowing rivers, with the ransomed, I will sing. That's you guys, man. We're all going to get together one day. We're going to have a really good time. And forever and forever, praise and glorify the King. That's what I'm looking for, brother. I mean, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. There's just nothing on this planet. To do. I've had people say, you know, you need to get a hobby. I got one. His name is Jesus. That's my hobby. I don't, I don't need another hobby. I have, to, I have to stop doing that sometimes to do other things. And then I, I want to get back. This is what I really want to do. I want to, I want to serve Jesus, wherever that is, on the streets, talking to somebody, passing on gospel track, doing whatever it is. That's all I want to do, Putting, building something. I don't care. If it's for him, I'd just rather do that. Brother, I'm telling you what, this world is insane. Brother Tom, I'll shut up or I'll take all your time. Jerry's sitting back here with the, he's testing the bell right now, man. <laughs> he, won't, he won't do that to you. How much time do I got, Jerry? I bet you will. Testing, testing. Yeah, I think it's on. Well, hopefully I'll say something that ring your bell, brother, too. <laughs> oh. Let's see. Brother Adam, would you pray God would speak through me? I'd really like him to do that, that he could get the glory and somehow speak through me.
Amen, amen. If you got your Bible, turn to Psalm 62. In the book of Psalms. 62. There's no chapters. These are just Psalms. They're different. <laughs> Psalm 62. And... Uh, I'll start in verse 7. The Bible says, In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. I'll drop down to verse 11. God hath spoken once. Twice have I heard this that power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Uh, look at the next uh, Psalm 63. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. You may be seated. I borrowed some of these uh, points and the title from Brother Lutrick, Gary Lutrick, down in Texas. He preached something that really touched my heart back in, in the fall or winter here, and I took some notes on it, and each of the points he covered, I had some it brought me through some things in my life that I went through, and, and I hope uh, maybe it'll stir your memory of some things you've been through. And I, I, he titled it, I'll take his title, it, Has God Ever Spoke to You? Out of verse 11. Has God ever spoken to you? Now, he don't say a lot in our lives, and I've, I've wondered it, because he spoke to me a few times about some things. And there's times I wanted him to speak to me so bad, and he wouldn't say nothing. And I sought him, and I sought him. And he told me more than once, at least two times, definitely, he said, faith is what I want. I want to see what you're going to do with what I've given you. Because that's what pleases him. That's what brings him glory. But uh, he definitely does speak to us. Um, go ahead and turn over to 1 Kings 19. You're all familiar with this story. A lot of people have preached out of, pre preached out of this. And, and uh, Elijah, God spoke to him directly about some things. And I find it interesting that Elijah's at a low point and God speaks very plainly to him. There's a lot of things Elijah did where there's no record of God telling him, but you know he had a walk with the Lord or, or he wouldn't have accomplished some of the things that he did. But at a low point, he needed some things, especially in this cave here. Uh, 1 Kings 19 and verse, uh, look at 9. Uh, and he came thither into a, unto a cave and lodged there, and the word of the Lord came unto him. And that's precious when the Lord, where the Lord comes unto you. <laughs> the Lord woke me up about 4 o'clock in the morning last night with a verse, and I thought, i got to get out of bed or I'll lose this thought. <laughs> I went downstairs and wrote it down, and I got up this morning and studied out a handful of things, and 
I said, well, Lord, what do I do with them? <laughs> so I fit a couple of them into this message because I figure they must be for someone. A couple of these points, little things that I added. Um, <clears throat> verse 9, the word of the Lord came unto him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he goes into his long story. Oh, he's, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. And he, he goes all down through that thing. And uh, verse 11, and he, and he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Great and strong wind rent the mountains, breaking pieces of the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after an earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. I mean, that's a show. I mean, you think about what uh, tornadoes and earthquakes cause men to do, and a, and a fire, and things that are completely out of man's control, some of the three biggest threats man's ever had right in front of his face. And the Lord wasn't in any of them things. Then this still small voice that repeats the exact same words. And uh, the Lord was in a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle, went out, stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice. There's that still small voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? <laughs> Imagine it was softer than the first time. I told you nice and loud, and you gave me this big song and dance, and now, what are you doing here? And that, that statement is kind of like what uh, he did pulled on Adam in the garden. Adam, where art thou? Don't you think God knew where Adam was? Where are you at, Adam? Adam, I can't find you. I created everything, but I can't find you. No. He, it's, it's a statement made by God for the individual to check and see where they're at. And he's done this to other characters. Uh, he dealt with Jonah after he uh, was sour, after the great victory with the uh, folks in Nineveh. And, and uh, he's sitting under that gourd, and God said, you know, do us out well to be angry. He told him that twice. God does that. He does that twice sometimes. It's interesting with the, the case of Abraham. Because when he sent Abraham to take his son up on that mountain, he told him, Abraham, and he, here am I, and he told him what to do, and he went after it. And it was all the way till Abraham had the knife in his hand, and God had to say his name twice. It took one time to get him started, twice to get him to stop. Abraham, Abraham! He was a different character. He was an unusual individual. Has God ever spoken to you about conversion? 1 John 5, 11. 1 John 5, 11. Let's look at that. 1 John 5, 11. 1 John 5, verse 11. The Bible says, And this is the record that God hath given to, to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Those are so, such simple, there's nothing more than two-syllable words and all that stuff that even a child can understand it. Um, 
God ever spoke to you about conversion? My, myself, the first time God ever spoke to me that I know of, that I can pin down for sure, was before I was saved. I worked at a gas station here on Dayton Senior Road, and I've mentioned this before, but I, I, like, re, I like remembering it. Amen. This, uh, we had, we've had a handful of customers that were challenging, and we had a man that was, uh, was difficult to deal with. He was elderly, and I got thinking about it today. This was 1986. That man could have been born in the 1890s. He was very old. He lived on Dayton Zenia Road. He had this brown, I call it a shotgun house because it had one door, front door only. And they since tore that house down. There's some church sitting there. But he had this little brown house and he had a 62 Chevy Impala and he rarely came to the station. But when he did, uh, I remember him out at the full service island and he was in tears asking, I don't know how to get home. I don't know how to get home from here. Well, he lived on North Fairfield Road. We're on Dayton Senior Road. It's go down the traffic light, make a right, and go down through another light or two, and you live on the left. That's how close he was to home. But he was in tears. He had dementia of some sort. He didn't know how to get home, and he was befuddled, and, and uh, it, was, it was sad. I'd never seen anybody like that. He was in his upper 90s, probably. And... So uh, one day he called and he wanted a battery put in his car. And I drove the tow truck only when the boss didn't want to because he liked driving the tow truck. I got sent out in snowstorms. I got sent out in rush hour traffic in the middle of 35, had a car in the middle of median and two, you know, knee deep snow and I'm supposed to go get it out. I got sent on those kind of calls. And uh, I got sent on calls to pick up Corvettes and take them to this special body shop. I got to pick up some cool Corvettes. I think the boss man was afraid of tearing them up. I don't know why he gave me that job. But he sent me this, to this man's house to put a battery in. And I, I go and I didn't know what I was in for. And I go and he comes out of his house and he's hobbling and he's in his right mind. And he's got a big smile on his face. and He's only about this tall at the time. And he comes right up in my face and he's beaming and he says, do you know Jesus Christ? And I lied and I said, yes. Oh, praise the Lord. He went off. He was, he was tickled. That just made his day. And I got back in the tow truck and there was a voice that said, you don't know me. You lied. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought about that a lot and it wasn't my conscience because... And in learning about the Bible, you know, it was probably the Holy Spirit, but he wasn't talking about himself. And it was, it was, he was talking about, it was just, uh, there's some mysterious things about the Trinity, like Pastor said, I don't, I don't know about. They just baffle me. God can do some unusual things, but he specifically said, you don't know me, you lied. And I agreed with him. This was a, probably a year or two before I got saved. So that was a test, God's testing scene. Was this, this, this dumb boy going to listen? Or is he not? Now somebody had been planting gospel tracts in the gas station bathroom by the phone. Same man would come twice a, twice a week, put one by the phone, one in the bathroom. And I, I know what the man looks like in my mind because he always came and used a drinking fountain and he never bought anything and he wasn't a customer. <laughs> but... I went back after I quit that job, and that man did that for at least 10 years of, that I know of. 
Five years after I saved, I went in the bathroom, got one in tracks, took it home. It's in my desk. But I'll meet that man in heaven. We used to make fun of those things, and I'd write on them, Doug, you need this. You know, put it where the other guy would see it, you know. But I sincerely remember reading one thinking, that's too easy. That's too good to be true. I don't have to do anything. Just believe. So it, that gospel message in them tracks sowed a little seed. And uh, then I got saved a little bit later. I got saved in uh, January 14, 1986. Look at Matthew 11. Matthew 11. These things are a comfort to me sometimes when I get bummed out because I've got lost family members. I'm going to a funeral tomorrow, and i got lost cousins, and, and they're Catholic folks, and sometimes you have no open door. And you get, you just, if you're not careful, the devil will beat you up when you leave. You'll just come out of there miserable because you've not had any open door or you didn't get anywhere with them. And, uh, but God does speak to men. In their life, he lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He puts a witness in their lives. I got an uncle I love over in Dayton here that's lost, and he's been witness to. He's been witness to, and he did my taxes for 20 years, and he he saw how much I gave to church, and he one time he was disgusted, and he said, "Tom, you're giving too much to that church. What'd you give all that money for?" I said, "I just blew it off. I said, oh, we had some project going on. I just wanted to be a part of. You know, <laughs> my giving was a testimony to that man." And he would, he'd mention, well, I do taxes for this Baptist preacher over here. And he, he had friends that had witnessed to him, and he'd, he'd been given clear witness. But many times I left his house beat down. Yet God was doing something. If he goes to hell, he'd been warned. He'd been warned many times. His sister and my mom, they loved him and warned him and sent things to him. Um, Matthew 11, verse 28 in 29, uh, get there myself. The Bible says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is one of the verses the Lord woke me up with, and uh, maybe it don't fit this. But it is a C. It starts with a C. Come unto me. These are all C's. Conversion and some of these other ones. Has God ever spoken to you? Come to Him. That's an open invitation right there. You'll find rest. You'll find everything you need. Um, just like God talks to you about your conversion, the devil will talk to you and try to keep you from it. He's, he, the devil is sneaky. Before you're saved... He'll, he'll give you, offer you every excuse. Oh, you don't need that. You can do that later. Oh, you couldn't live it anyway. You know, you're, you're okay. Mom and dad are saved. The devil's a big old liar. And he'll pump that in your head. And then as soon as a person gets saved, then he turns tables on them. Well, you didn't really mean it. Look at what you did. And he goes on and on and on. And he changes sides against you. So the devil does some talking, but has God ever spoken to you? Can you pin down your salvation, God dealing with you? Hopefully, hopefully most of you can here. 
But if not, you need to make that right. I've seen some strange things. I've seen fellows get married, and pastor's wife can attest to that she's seen it too. Fellows in their church get married to a girl that grew up in another church, and they come get under gospel preaching, and they had good preaching where they were at. And all of a sudden, they get under conviction and realize, man, I'm lost. I've seen it happen two, three, four times. And I read Fanny Crosby's testimony in an older book and realized she never got a handle on it until she was nearly 30. She met somebody who thought, that person has something I don't have. When she was young, man, she was sharp as a tack. She wrote poetry. And uh, in her own words, she felt like she could write a better sermon than the preacher. She could quote you entire books of the Bible. This fascinating lady. But she never wrote a hymn till after she was saved. <laughs> but her poetry was recognized by a president of the United States. Uh, she was a sharp, young, blind lady. Fascinating. But I've seen some strange things. You need to make sure. I worked with a guy. He's a Navy man. He's in heaven now, James Philippi. And his wife, uh, they went over to faith, and I think her testimony was she didn't get saved till later in life. God moved in their service, and she got convicted about her salvation, and she went forward and got saved later in life. Said, I'm not going to go to hell for anybody. I've been a hypocrite. I've been playing games for years. <laughs> I don't know. I would, I'd love to hear her testimony. I just heard pieces of it. I thought, man, I bet that sounds good. I bet that would have been a good night to be there. Make sure... God deals with you about your conversion. Secondly, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this one, uh, you all know the verse, I hope, but maybe not. You've got some newer Christians here. And Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> this thing come home and God dealt with me in 1988 about this issue right here in a camp meeting. First one I ever attended, he says, uh, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I've heard that preached a bunch of times, and it's still, it's like a constant reminder give yourself to God. In this particular case, uh, Dr. Don Green was preaching, and uh, it was the first time I heard a Baptist preacher preach on those lines of consecration and giving your life to Jesus Christ. And, and uh, I've, it was a life-changing event that, I mean, I'd been saved for about, uh, let's see, 88. I'd been saved for about two years. And I tell you what, I left there that night I was so excited. I went, I wasn't married yet, and I went and told my, my uh, family about the meeting, or my, no, my neighbors about the meeting, Cheryl's parents, my, Cheryl's mom probably thought I was crazy. But the Lord dealt with me. I got some victory last, that night over some sin. I left with joy. It was, it was like a second salvation. Man, it was great. I was thrilled. It was a turning point for me. I surrendered my life to Christ. I fumbled around for two years, if, you, know, you know, they say you know, salvation is one thing, being a Christian is another. Well, I probably began to be a Christian right there because uh, really uh, I tried to get in and, 
And what I appreciate about that old preacher is he would try to get folks, he'd put the pressure on you with, with his preaching, and then he'd try to get you to come up because he wanted to pray for you. You don't find a lot of preachers doing that. But uh, I appreciate him doing that. It made a difference in my life. And I wondered, I've wondered over the years why more believers weren't sold out. And I've wondered, I scratch my head and I look and think about it. I think maybe they just never been under that kind of preaching to put that kind of pressure on them. Man, it helped me. It's worth it. If, if, you, don't, if you don't make up your mind, I was only eh, 20, 1988, I was 24 years old. If you don't make up your mind that you're going to live for Jesus Christ, you ain't going to do nothing but spin your wheels, suck air, consume products, and, and be dissatisfied. I've been satisfied with my Savior, with the salvation He's given. I've been dissatisfied with myself. <laughs> I'm disgusted with myself. Every time I think of Him, I, I think, man, why did He love me? I sure appreciate what He's done. He's a blessing. Our Savior is wonderful. I encourage you to do that. If you've never done it, these younger Christians, Randall uh, just got saved. What a blessing. That's a treat. Give your life to Jesus Christ. He wants everything. And if you give it, you know, it says, whosoever loseth his life shall find it. Well, I don't know. I can't quote the rest of the verse. can't quote it right off the top of my head. But, man, I found life when I found Jesus Christ. All that other stuff was just death. And I tried a lot of things growing up. I had all kinds of toys and cars and motorcycles and junk and did some dumb things on them and uh, they all end up empty. I've been satisfied with Jesus Christ and I've gotten better thrills with this kind of stuff and it wears me out just as bad. <laughs> okay. So has God ever spoken to you about consecration? Has God ever spoken to you about a choice of companion for life? Look at Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2. And uh, verse 18, when you get there, a choice of companion for life. Has God ever spoken to you about that? Uh, I was a young Christian when I got married. Uh, I'd been saved about two years. And, and like I said, I was fumbling around and God was merciful to me. He knew where I was at, and he gave me the right wife because I didn't have any sense. <laughs> he, just, he just dropped her in my lap, and I'm, I'm so thankful. I have the right one. I'm totally convinced. She's kept me out of trouble and, and been a big help to me. But uh, look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to, to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. I thought about that today. You know, all these different cattle come by. And, well, that's a white face. And that's a church. I don't know what kind of names he gave. But regardless, you know, as Adam's seeing that, he's seeing pairs. He's saying male and female, male and female. This cow's hanging around that cow, and that sheep's hanging around that sheep. There's nothing here. It looks like a human. Even the monkeys walk by and apes, and he thought, I don't believe in evolution. <laughs> they don't look like me. They're hairy all over. 
They don't look that bright either. I'm smarter than them. I can name all of them. But uh, he, there wasn't any. Anyway, it says, uh, Adam gave names to all cattle, to all the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. You know, maybe he said, Lord, I don't see none of them's going to help me. <laughs> I mean, I might be able to keep warm by one of them. That's about it. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord had taken from man made he a woman, and watch this, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh. That's, that's, marriage is the institution of God. And, and God ever spoke to you about a choice of companion for life? Um, look at Proverbs 18, verse 22. Proverbs 18, 22. <clears throat> Proverbs 18, 22. The Bible says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. So it is a good thing. But uh, let's go one other place in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. God's merciful. He knows where we're at. Um, I guess I should say uh, the Apostle Paul's got a lot of sound advice in Scripture here for uh, the life situations we find ourselves in. Uh, you know, some folks get, get saved after they're married and the spouse is lost and God's merciful and there's good counsel and, and uh, things like that. And, uh, but concerning this, look at... Um, 7, verse 1 and 2. Now, concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. You know, pastor talks about waiting, waiting, and that's right. But uh, that's not to say that that's going to happen for everybody. He knows where you're at. Some of you folks growing up in church, you know, you know, uh, uh, know some things that he didn't know at that time that I didn't know. I didn't get saved till I was 22 either. And in some cases, he may have you get married young just to keep you out of trouble, young man. Uh, he'll, he'll, uh, I thought I had another verse I wanted to use, but... Um, yeah, I forgot to say this about Proverbs 18. Whosoever findeth a wife. That's, that's puts the ball in the young man's court. He's got to be the one looking. I've seen a strange thing. I've seen young ladies looking for a husband, looking for a husband. And they seem to go to the wrong places to do it. I remember the young lady growing up, she, she'd go to the bar. She said she was looking for Mr. Right. I said, wrong place. <laughs> I don't know. She probably married the wrong guy. I don't know. They're, He's lost, and I don't think she's saved either, but uh, that was just her thinking when she was young. I, mean, I was 19. I remember her, I'm looking for Mr. Right, and she's dating different guys at these bars and stuff. Yeah, I rode that merry-go-round too. It's a waste of time. 
But uh, so the ball's in your court, young man. Young man, you got to show the interest. You got to make the move. God shows you that you're going to need a wife to keep you out of trouble, like it says here in chapter 7, to avoid fornication. You start begging God, please give me the wife to keep me out of trouble. This world's got temptations I can't handle, and I need some help. And, and at least uh, if the Lord answers your prayer, you wait on the Lord, like the pastor says. It, it may be early, it may be a few years, but he'll give you the strength to endure temptation. But uh, it's the young man's ball in his court for that. The young lady, I say, hang on for the ride and pray for I pray for that guy that's going to marry you because he's probably alive in this world today somewhere. <laughs> and pray God will guide him. And, and, and then it's a blessing when God brings a woman to the man. God puts the thing together. It's a blessing. Marriage is a blessing. God knows our frame. Um, marriage is his, it's his institution. For the saved, hopefully a blessing. For the lost, it, it quells unnatural affection and holds sin down and adds stability to a people and society. It's got a purpose. God set it up that way. He knew a bunch of people wasn't going to believe on him. They are going to live their lives, die, and go to hell. I, I scratch my head when a, my uncle just passed away. He was probably 90, in his 90s. I don't know if he was saved. I don't think he was, but uh, he might have been. I've been in the room where he prayed, and he had a lot of books and New Testament Boy, he was so Catholic. I don't know. I don't know. But sometimes I think God allows folks to live a lengthy life because this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get. And he's merciful. He allows people to have a good marriage. They ain't even saved. Just to, you know, he gives them a chance. He loves them. And he's merciful. God ever spoken to you about a choice of companion for life? Next place we'll look at is Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I'm mindful of the time. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> I think I started about a half hour ago. Exodus chapter 3. <clears throat> this is the call of Moses. It's a fascinating story, and it's worth looking at. Has God ever spoken about, to you about a call? He dealt with me about it. I'll finish that. I'll tell you that a little bit. But he's dealing with Moses here. And you see the story. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, led, led uh, the flock to the backside of the desert. Um, and he sees the burning bush, burn two, verse 2 and verse 3. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. What the, why the bush is not burnt. And the, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, out of the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses. It's fascinating, says his name twice. You know, when, when, when Moses killed that Egyptian, it said he looked this way and he looked that way. And he killed that guy, buried him in the sand. But God saw that he looked right at that bush. And uh, since the Lord saw, he's, he's looking, he's turned aside to see what's going on. I'll deal with him. And he said, draw nigh, he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon there standest is holy ground. 
and he, and he goes in a lengthy thing. Moreover, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, and their cries come up unto me. And uh, verse 8, I'm come down to deliver them and, and bring them into this great land. Verse 8, paraphrase. And then and verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come before me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. And he's thinking, yep, yeah, well, wow, this is God, you're mighty. But then it all changes. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Uh-oh. That's when the whole tables turn. I mean, all that stuff up till then, he was fascinated. Then he's going to get, he's been given a job. And Moses starts in, uh, Moses said unto God, who am I? He's got three excuses. Who am I that, uh, <clears throat> that I should go into Pharaoh and I should bring forth the children of Israel? God gives him a promise. He said, certainly I will be with thee. And this will be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought them forth out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Uh, token, that means after I get done with the job, I'll know you sent me because I got it done and then we'll worship you. That's not enough. So he goes in, God deals with him quite a bit more. And his second excuse shows up in chapter 4. After God tells him all what he's going to do, lays it all out. And it says, how I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with my wonders. And, he, and Moses answered and said, But behold, they, won't, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So second excuse, they won't believe me. They won't even listen to me. Uh, he offers an excuse. And then it shows up again, verse 10. Well, he, he deals with him about what's in your hand and, and put your hand in your bosom and leprosy and the snakes and all that, you know, the rod turned into a snake and all that and these two signs and all that. And you think that'd be enough, but to get down to verse 10 and here he goes again. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore. That sounds like a pretty eloquent word to me, heretofore. <laughs> of course, it's Hebrew back then, but... Nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now right next to verse 12, I got a date. June 8th, 1990. God dealt with me with this verse. The Lord said, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. That was the call to preach for me. But that's a pretty good promise for Moses right there. And uh, God dealt with me out of that verse. And, you know, I'm ashamed to say I probably didn't get started preaching for at least four years, three or four years after that, and it, just in the jail. And I've never been much of a preacher, but... That's okay. You know, when I started reading those, those prayer letters on uh, Wednesday night, I noticed as soon as I started doing that, I started getting a slur in my speech. It drove me crazy. But I, that's all right. I'll wisp I'll wisp through it for the glory of God. Because He gave me something to do. I'll do it. I don't care. If I look like a fool, I'll be a fool for Christ. That's all right. But... Uh, 
That's a good promise. Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. I need that Lord. I appreciate when he does it. He wants to get glory. If he can get glory through your vessel, get out of the way and let him do it. Just try to stay out of the way. I'm not trying to do the best I can. I fumbled around. I got called yesterday in the middle of a construction project at David's house. Pastor called. And I'm not going to say, no, yeah, I'll preach. But hey, I'll be, and you talk about a busy day. I fixed a lawnmower. A guy calls me about a brake problem. Me and my son run over there, put a brake line on a car. And, and uh, I didn't get to look at none of this yesterday. Just middle of the night this morning. Thank God I had something in the folder that he gave me a little while ago. And I just worked it out but uh, God ever dealt with you about a call to preach young man ladies this isn't for you <laughs> you'd be a great witness preach at your husband all you can <laughs> but God ever dealt with you if he does it'll be through scripture it'll be in a meeting or something there'll be a good connection and you'll know I wrote that down I wrote it in the back of this Bible in 1990 and then I found it a few years later years later and I look back and I think, good night, 32 years? I don't think I've gotten too far. That's all right. I'm not comparing other people. Uh, I'll just, we'll see what I get rewarded for. I'd, I went to Bible Institute for a whole different motive than most of them guys. I did, didn't go there for the degrees. I just went there to learn more about my Lord, get close to him. You guys are, those of you coming to class on Thursday, that's, to me, that was Bible Institute. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I, did, I spread the institute over a 20-year period. And the only reason I quit going is because got, I got too busy in life, and uh, it got to where the teacher was teaching, and then they'd get to the, towards the end of class, and, Tom, you got anything to add? And I felt awkward. Some of them classes, latter classes, boy, the wheels are clicking as they're going through stuff. I'm remembering things and learning things, and it was precious. I dug up a notebook. I listened to some, t some recordings uh, on the will of God, a class I took in 1998, Dr. Estep taught it. And I thought, boy, this sounds familiar. And lo and behold, I took that class, and I had all the notes at home. And I opened up, looked at it. I said, well, good thing I didn't take no notes. I already got them. <laughs> it, was, it was very, very helpful, very good, and I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> God ever spoken to you about a call? Let's look at another one. Uh, let's see uh, Psalm 41. Psalm 41. God ever spoke to you about a call to do anything, just surrender. And say, Lord, you'll have to do it. I've been asked to do a few things, and I've said, no, no. And I think the men were surprised. But the, really, the, the truth is, if God wants me to do it, I will definitely Get after it. Amen. But if he don't, I'm not just going to go on a whim of what a man wants. Amen. God, Amen. I've been put in a spot where, uh, where the devil will talk to you. I've, the devil's talked to some young men and told them, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And they mistook that for God. I was, the devil talked to me about some of them same subjects. And I said, I said, Lord, if that's you, you make it happen. I gladly submit to it. Otherwise... I'm not going to touch it. And I think that's a safe way to play. If God wants you in the position of something, he'll put you there. You don't have to put yourself there. You'll make a big mess. 
And then you'll wonder if he called you. I've heard guys wonder if God called them to this or that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure he hasn't called me to certain things because he didn't put me there. Uh, Psalm 41, I, I heard these verses. I heard a part of this verse quoted once as a young man. And it stuck with me. And uh, has God ever spoken words to comfort you? It says in 41 verse 1, Blessed is he that considereth the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou wilt not deliver him before the will of his enemies. Here's the verse. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. I remember Carl Lackey in 1989 as an old man uh, preaching over there at Charity, and his wife had just passed away, and he talked about her dying in the house and how her seeing these angels, and, and she was losing blood and things like that. And, he, and he, with a smile, he says, You know, the Bible says you'll make your bed. You'll make your bed in your sickness. You trust him, he'll make your bed in your sickness. And that's all he said. I knew it was in the Bible somewhere, and later I found out. Well, sure enough, when I came home from the hospital, uh, I don't know if it's the broken back or the cancer. I can't remember. I'd have to think back of the details. Well, I came home one time from the hospital, probably the broken back, yes. I already had cancer, and uh, I had a broken back. It was third week of July, fourth week of July, and the pastor and his son come over and brought my bed down from upstairs and set up my bed in the dining room so I could sleep in my house because I couldn't go up steps. I had a brace on, I had a walker, I had a tool to put my socks on, I had a grabber, which I still got. It works good. You can clean a garage with a grabber when nobody's home. <laughs> Not supposed to. You can pick cucumbers in the garden when nobody's around with a grabber. Well, I wasn't supposed to do those things. But the Lord reminded me, old Carl Lackey said, he'll make your bed in sickness. And there's special closeness with the Lord when you're in trouble. Just like Elijah uh, had it there when he was ready to commit suicide under, under, that, you know, under that juniper tree or... Uh, you know, when he was in that cave hiding and all that. Uh, there's a closeness there. Any of you that's been through some suffering and trusted the Lord with it, there's something sweet there that you can't buy it. You can't get it in a service. It's just, it's comfort that he speaks to you. And I've got a, I've got a message or two and a whole list of scriptures where the Psalms just comforted me and helped me through those times because it was scary time. When they, that doctor come in that room, I, I wrestled with health issues many times through my life, but really the, when David was born, I had a sciatic nerve problem. I couldn't drive the car. My father-in-law had to take me home. I could hardly stand up, and he had to drive me home the day David was born from the hospital, and I wrestled with that sciatic nerve and other issues for two years, and then towards the end of that two-year period, that fall, I was having trouble eating, and my belly was swelling, and, and I got this cancer, this growth in my small intestines, blocking off the intestines. And I remember when that doctor came in, I'd already been told, well, you got Crohn's disease, or you got this, or you got that. They're, 
I mean, I, it had been weeks, trips to the hospital, and I was passing blood, and uh, I had to get the people's attention at the hospital that something's seriously wrong here. So I said, you need to see all this blood I've lost. And when they did, things clicked real fast. They did tests on me, and the next morning the doctor said, you've got cancer and we'll know what kind in three days. And, and I was so scared. It's the only time in my life where my knees were about knocking together. I was in the bed and my legs were shaking. Nerves were completely shot. And I couldn't call my pastor, couldn't call assistant pastor, no, couldn't reach nobody. And my wife's in tears and we're just a mess. And I just cried out the Lord, bowed my head, and he said... Uh, he said, I was going to be all right. He said, you've got too much responsibility down here. I'll get you through it. He gave me some comfort and some assurance there. And uh, turn to Mark chapter 4. He gave me some comfort that night. And I wish I could have held on to that the whole time. But I tell you what, after eight months of chemotherapy and... Uh, radiation towards the end of that and that's scary I mean but I, I tell you what after all that stuff you're for long things don't scare you as bad <laughs> I laid under that radiation machine and they were mapping me out and they said they take a magic marker they did radiation on this part in my stomach and they lay you on this table and they got these this projector and they map you out and they put checkpoints on you with a magic marker mark your body all up because that's where they're going to line you up when they come up to, for your daily treatments and you go under that machine they lay you on that table put it up in place and the lady comes with these big old plexiglass thing with chunks of lead on it slides them into that machine and puts it over top of you and uh, I was pretty calm at that time what people don't know is that radiation center is a sleep center today over in Dayton. If they knew that, if they were walking into the radiation vault to do their sleep test, they would not sleep too good because the walls are about that thick. And they come and set you all up, go out, and you hear the, the vault shut. And you watch, a little light comes on, you hear a little zzz. Then they come and get you, take all that stuff off, change the plate, do it again. By, by all that time, you know, after eight months, I was calmed down. And, but, man, I was a mess. I was about down to 118 pounds, and I looked like a refugee from Iran or something. I got a picture with a beard because that's the only place I could grow the hair back. I lost the eyebrows, everything, a couple times. First time my hair come back like baby hair. Anyway, by fall, I was frustrated. Thought I was going to die. Didn't know if I was coming or going. I'd forgotten what he said. Look at chapter 4 of Matthew. God spoke to me some comforting things. One night in a missions conference or a meeting of some sort. I'm sorry, Mark 4, not Matthew. Mark 4. And... Uh, <clears throat> verse 40. He said unto them, Why are you so fearful? And here's the words the Lord just stuck me with. How is it that you have no faith? And the, the gist of the message, brother, Umberto Gomez was preaching it, and uh, verse 35 of the previous chapter, Mark 4, uh, Mark 4, 
35, and he said, And the same day when it was even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And look at the first verse of chapter 5. And they came over unto the other side. But between those two verses, oh, there's a storm. And uh, it's, it's bad. I mean, the great wind of verse 37 the waves beat into the ship, and it was now full. I mean, I, as far as the cancer and the treatment, I was, I was full. <laughs> I was done. And I wasn't getting better. They were talking about a, I think they did it, eighth chemo treatment on me, which uh, really bothered my mother and my aunt because my cousin had cancer also, and they gave him an eighth treatment and did him in. He got another disease from that and did them in and they were worried it was going to happen again I didn't know it at the time but verse 38 and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and say unto him master carest thou not that we perish and I wrote in this bible go back to what he said and trust him he told me I was going to be all right I got too much responsibility with those children I had four sons at the time. And uh, <clears throat> that verse 40, how is it that you have no faith? I'd forgotten what he said. That was a comfort to me. That was a turning point. And when, he, when the Lord stuck me with those words, things began to change. And uh, I had a better attitude about the situation. And my health got better and and. Thanks be to God, I'm still here. Next one, 1 Peter, verse, 1 Peter chapter 5. Almost done. 1 Peter chapter 5. God ever spoken comfort to you? God ever spoken to you about a call or companion for life or consecration or things like that? God ever spoken to you in your life about that? If he has, you ought to write them down in your Bible or, or you know, Lay them out somewhere. Think about them, because you may have some doubts sometimes. First uh, Peter chapter five. <clears throat> God ever spoken to you about a closer walk with Him? Somebody must need this. I think the Lord gave me this last night. I'm not sure why. Verse seven. Uh, look at uh, verse five five. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. This is the verse he dealt with me last night. Somebody needs this. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. How, how hard is that second word, all? Casting all. Somebody, somebody's holding on to something they don't need to. You can cast all your care upon him. He can take it. Uh, old preacher Harry Nix used to sing a song, uh, My Jesus has broad shoulders. His back is stronger than mine. He was there the first time I called on him, and he'll be there anywhere, anytime. I'd like to find that recording. I'd sing that just because it means something to me. He'll be there. He will. He's got broad shoulders. He can carry the load that you're carrying. You don't need to carry it. He said, take my load, take my yoke upon me, learn of me, because I'm meek and lowly in heart. He can carry the load you're carrying. 
You don't need to carry it. Give it to him. And I noticed those previous verses talk about humility and humbling and humbling. It's three times. Submission is the key to humility. You want to temper pride with humility. If you're proud, uh, his resistance to your pride affects how you experience his care. You won't get the full experience of the care that he has for you and the love and the closer walk if you don't uh, humble yourself. That's, that's what an altar is for. Um, it do, it do you good to come down the altar. I've sat through whole camp meetings, you know, 35 hours worth of preaching or so, and just looking for the Lord to speak to my heart, speak to my heart. And sometimes I'd get one sentence out of one, one sentence, the whole meeting. But uh, I'd made many trips down the altar, and I'd wait. And sooner or later, the Lord would deal with me and tell me he loved me. Yeah, and that, that made the whole week worth it. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I look for him to speak to me. Has God ever dealt with you about a closer walk with him? Uh, if so, man, you need to, you need to do it. Uh, I've noticed something in the last uh, couple years. If you pray for each other when you're in, if you pray for each other, then when, when the people are in trouble, you'll realize how much your love has grown towards them. I try to pray for a bunch of you. I try to, I, I try to roll through your names and uh, sometimes and, and I've noticed it, it creates a love there that uh, creates a bond. And you go through some problem, you know, um, and Miss Sandy's husband went through those health issues. You, you know, I, I've never been to their house. I'm, you know, as far as, as far as closeness, we're not real close to nothing, but I love them folks because I've been praying for them and, and I feel that hurt and those cares and those worries. If you'll take them kind of things on you, bear one another's burdens, it'll, it'll increase some love in your heart. And this pleases God and this is what God wants you to do. And if you'll read uh, about his commandment in 1 John, that's what he wants for the church. Um, that leads me to the next point. God, God ever spoken to you about a closer walk with him? For me, uh, losing overtime at work and not being able to come in until 8 o'clock really upset the apple cart for me. I've been content for a lot of years, but that, that, about, that about messed me up. So I thought, well, Lord, I got, I'm awake. I got all this time. So I started getting up in the morning and making habit to pray and try to read some. Read a little bit in my Bible in the morning, which is hard. Sometimes I can't hardly function, can't think too clear. But I, I do a little bit. Sometimes I'll get through a chapter and I'll just hold up my chest, say, Lord, I love you. I thank you for this book, things, simple things like that. And I can't hardly say two plus two is four. <laughs> but uh, those times are special. He's, so it's a, it is a closer walk. And I rely on him to get me out of bed. I don't use an alarm clock. I haven't used one for two years. He gets me up. He got me up four o'clock this morning. He's, he's, if you'll trust him, I trust him with that time clock thing. He gets me up. It's, it's neat. I like it. I don't get a lot of sleep sometimes, but he gets me up. <laughs> okay, has he ever dealt with you about continuing? 2 Timothy chapter 3. This one's more recent, and I've preached it here because some of it, because it happened recently. But... Uh, <clears throat> 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
just for sake of time, <clears throat> you know it's the last times it says there in uh, verse 1, this know also that in the last times perilous times shall come, last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers, them that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of God, no, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Here's where it gets sticky. Having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Ooh. That was spooky. Noise, I don't know what that was. Having, I must have hit a good spot, devil. We'll read that again. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. That's a hard thing to do. There's some church folks that I loved because I did just what I said there. I used to pray for a bunch of folks and I love them and still pray for them. And it was a hard extraction for me to leave the place I was. It hurt deep and it bothers me often. But uh, God's interested in people to love him. You love something else more than him. You're, if you're content with a good spirit instead of the Holy Spirit, something's wrong. And the Church of Jesus Christ went through something in the last five, six years, not just where I was at, but universally, because I heard it a lot of other churches. And God did some sifting, and He sifted out a lot of folks that don't want the truth. If you want to go to a kumbaya church and get the 7-Eleven songs and, and come as you are, leave as you came and all that, they're out there. There are plenty of them. And they don't need doctrine. It's just, let's have a good time. Uh, but uh, from such turn away. This whole chapter only has two, two things. That he, Apostle Paul gives a lot, of instruction, a lot of instructions, but he only gives two counsels in the whole chapter. One is right there, from such turn away, and the second one is the one I'm focusing on, verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. God started dealing with me about this in the fall of 2015. He gave me a message or two about it. And uh, I didn't understand what was going on. But looking back on it, he led me through some things that helped me. I mean, I remember, I learned some things about deception. It says there in 13, evil men, shall, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, I was just reading history, Warren County history. Got reading about the Shakers and, and learning uh, what it was like in 1803 and the Shaker movement with them, their false doctrine come up and how, and how it worked. And I read Peter Cartwright's book and, and saw what was going on. And God allows delusion and deception for people who don't want the truth. And in the midst of that great awakening of America, when the truth was put forth, folks got saved, folks responded, but there was unbelievers in the crowd that didn't, and God allowed a deception and a lie to come along to suck them up, take them out of the way. So I learned about deception and, and how seducing. I, I got definitions on some of that stuff somewhere. I never preached it or nothing. But seducers will flatter you. Beware of flattery. Man, I've heard some flattery. Amen. Like, uh, anyway, God ever talked to you about continuing? He dealt with me right in that verse. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of 
knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You know what it's like to sit in a, some of you know, sit in a side of a church and watch one by one, the members just start disappearing. And before you know it, you look and there's, you know, nine, ten aisles empty in front of you. And I'm in the midst of that, all my woods are dying, my ash trees are dying, the emerald ash borers, and I'm cutting down trees and I'm mowing them around them. And I'm, I'm discouraged and the Lord's dealing with me. And, and the Lord dealt with me. He said, you see all these trees coming down? Yep. He said, notice that walnut tree over there. Notice that oak tree over there. Notice that hickory nut tree over there. And I got encouraged that I've got a yard with good 10 variety of other trees. And all the woods are gone, but I got some other real nice maples. I got some real nice trees I didn't plant. God put them in there. This old cow field. Uh, but God dealt with me over and over about continuing. I know what it's like to sing and you feel like you're the only one in the section because everybody's gone. And then later to read, their, read some of their letters, why they're leaving, the stupid things they left over, people's gossip and foolishness that knocked them out. it break your heart. You ever get to that point? It's going to take God dealing with you about continuing or you won't. Some quit right there. That, that, that put me, when they told me I had cancer and my legs were shaking, I was put almost to that point. I've got, I've got rifles and handguns, and there was a point where I had to take all the clips out of the handguns and put them away. So I didn't trust myself. God had to help me. I was getting where I was suicidal. I didn't like seeing brethren hurt. And then people attacked my wife, and they woke the angry bear. Amen. And a, and a guy was on the phone with me saying, I don't, I don't understand why. I said, I'm protecting my wife. I said, I would hope you'd do the same if you was a man. I said, you mess with my wife, you're messing with the wrong person. You're going to deal directly with me. <clears throat> but God spoke with me about continuing has he ever spoke to you about any of that? I hope so. Don't be a quitter. It's not worth it. I'll wrap it up with that. God ever spoken to you? If, if so, would, did you listen? Did you obey? Did you change? Did you follow through? Your Heavenly Father has your best interest in mind. He's ever spoken to you, I'd act upon it. And you might write notes occasionally in your Bible where he dealt with you. Someday you might need them. It helped me to see my call to preach because I sure doubted it. I thought, Lord, if I'm supposed to preach, I sure don't get much opportunity. <laughs> but that's all right. I'd rather preach when he wants me to and have what he wants than a lot of empty sermons. The world's full of them. That's what I have. was impressive was uh, just not quitting. You hear me always talk about that book, Pilgrim's Progress. When the Lord started with me, when I got saved, I read that book, and the end of that book was the celestial city was heaven. And he said, Mike, that's where you're going. Never forget that. And all the way through your life, everything he just said is things the devil's going to put in your life to try to get you to stop 
somewhere. But the, but the Lord's already told me I'm going to heaven. That's why I like eternal security. I don't know where I'm going. You couldn't take it from me if you wanted to. I'm gone. I'm out of here, man. I'm gone. Then the rest of this trip is going to be trouble, tribulation, joy, peace, happiness, all that stuff. But never forget what I told you. You know your direction. You know where you're headed. Keep your mind there. You know, if you do that, you get saved. The first thing you're going to do, you won't have a problem waiting on God to give you a wife. Uh, you won't have to wait to have a problem. When he calls you, you'll hear him. You'll hear him exactly what he says. When, he, when you want some consecration, he'll, con he'll, he'll consecrate your life. He'll get you. Uh, in time, he'll do all that stuff if you wait, if you do what he says. Like he said, uh, Jesse got married 18. All, of the, all of her sisters thought she was crazy. They thought I was crazy for letting her get married. I think she got married at 18. I don't know. She got married young. And, uh, but I knew she was ready. I knew Adam was ready. I knew the two were ready. They were. Uh, some others have to wait. They just have to do it. And when you sit there and look at that thing, you got what it is is you wait on God. You wait on the Lord. And the Lord will clearly tell you what to do. But the first thing he tells you, never forget. If he told you to do something, the devil's going to try to confuse the situation. Adam, where are you at? You behind me? He's going to try to confuse the situation. And he's going to try to make you think something else. And all you got to do is say, no, no, no. No, the Lord said this. This is what he said. I don't have to understand, but this is what he said. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just keep doing that. And I'm, that's all I know to do is just do this. And you know what will happen? You'll get through all that thing. And one of these days, the joy will come back, the peace will come back, the happiness will come back, and you'll be back up on the mountaintop again. Brother, go for it.